And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, here on the program because uh, I think you're going to enjoy today's program. Uh, I will give the basic particulars here uh, in just a little bit, but I'm going to give you a little hint as to the conversation we're going to have with our very special guest all the way from the big boot country in Europe, Italy, and uh, this is the subject matter. We're going to be talking with Gary Smith, the author of a collection of short stories and poems as well. Gary, I want to thank you so much for uh, either staying up late or getting up early uh, to join us here on the program all the way from Italy. And uh, I I guess you might call it, as I've heard this phrase before, your lonely writer's Garrett. (laughs) Correct. Pretty much so. It's it's great to have you with us and uh, to talk about this because I've often said it uh, on this program that um, we all experience the same emotions. The intensities change, uh, and that's what makes us similar, makes us alike. That's what connects us is the emotions that we experience. What makes us unique is those stories. And they are short because there's nothing that goes on forever. I mean, your, your life has a certain span of time, and uh, then it's, uh, as they say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, uh, and so forth. So, um, uh, But you've also put together some poems throughout this particular work. You've also written a number of other books. We may touch upon some of those as well, but um, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, <clears throat> your connection Obviously, you have an affinity because you're there. Uh, I have an affinity to Ireland. I'm not there, but I'm working on it. Uh, but you obviously have a, a connection with that part of the world and that particular country. Can you give us a little background on that? Well, yeah. I uh, From the time I was very little, my grandmother used to tell me, when you go, they will know you. And you grow up not really understanding what that means. And then there comes a point in time when the immediate family and the elders have all passed on, and there's an urge to see uh, what, what, what she meant, where that place may be. So on our 20th wedding anniversary, my uh, wife and I decided to come to Italy. I'd been searching for six or eight months. Wasn't sure whether this was the right little village or not. And walked in and found out that my great great grandfather's uh, grain mill was still there, been there since the year 700. And this little town of 200 people, the next thing I know, this lady was standing behind me asking me to please come to her house for coffee. Uh, When we went over there for coffee, she put her arms around me and said, welcome home. We've been waiting a long time for you to come home. This is the house your grandfather was born in. And uh, I had no, I had no clue. I was the first American to walk in this town since my grandfather's last visit in 1960. 
So um, I was taken back to find uh, this little hamlet full of cousins that I had no clue about. So I've been coming back for the last 10 years ever since then. Wow. And I'm sure that uh, not only are there some great memories there that you've been told about and some that you've probably created yourself, uh, but but also um, do you pick up on, shall we say, that that ancestry, that energy from the ancestry uh, on that land uh, and uh, um, uh, kind of get the inspiration, if you will, sometimes maybe for some of your stories or poems and so forth that you write? Absolutely. I, um, I feel my grand my house, the house I'm, I'm, I'm uh, zooming from, uh, is on the path he walked every day down to the mill uh, with his dad to work in, in the granary. And uh, right, right now the village has about 200 people is all the people we have. And so it's, uh, yeah, you, you can't get away from the deep roots, you know, and go back to about the 1600s that I've found so far here uh, with church records and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really incredible place. It's uh, the church was built the year 1000, our, our church in this village where my grandfather was baptized. And so every, every morning, every walk through the village, you're reminded of your, your family history and your ties uh, to, like you said before, to other people, to, to, you know, we're all tied together. And, uh, this just keeps uh, underscoring uh, that principle. Well, Gary Smith is our guest here on the program. We're talking about, in particular, his latest work, a uh, collection of short stories and poems. And uh, it, of course, is available through his website, which is GarySmithAuthor.com. And we certainly hope that you'll go there. We'll be linked to uh, your uh, website, Gary, so that folks can, <clears throat> as they're listening to or watching, uh, this program, the podcast or video cast, they'll be able to click on that link and go to your website and read more about you and uh, the, the the books that you have available. Uh, it's amazing how many you've. How long have you been writing? Um, I try to get out a book every year, so it's been seven years. Uh, I wrote the first novel uh, in 2015. It was published 2000, early 2016. Hmm. Well, you also have uh, an, another book called Willing, uh, and I want to get into that as well. But you also have a book of of your own photographs. You have been into photography, what, ever since your uncle gave you uh, your first camera. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, he uh, gave me a camera, and I guess the bank gave it to him for a large deposit, or, you know, in the days you'd get a toaster or something if you got a cheap <laughs> little camera and he, and he and he gave it to me and i was fascinated with it and uh, but in the days the family didn't have money film was expensive so it didn't do much with it but it was um he planted the seed and it was always something i wanted to get back to and then the wife wanted a camera when the children was young to photograph them and i bought our 35 millimeter um, single lens reflex and before you know it i was winning some awards and and uh, found another another path of, of creativity for myself. Well, you and I have a, a connection there because I I uh, have loved photography. Took a a black and white course in junior college 
uh, many years ago, uh, and I was using at that time a camera my father gave me. It, it, it's an old Arg. It is old, an Argus 35 millimeter camera. I still have the flash attachment. And this attachment's a pretty good size attachment. <clears throat> and I also learned very early on uh, when I tried using it, do not use the flash attachment when you're trying to do close-ups of someone uh, <laughs> because that flash gets really hot. Those are the kinds of bulbs that it used. And it was a one-timer. It's not yeah. like your phone now that uh, just quickly oh. recharges and you take another one, flash, another one, flash. So uh, and I that that course that I took taught me an awful lot about the processing. I I I took not only great pride, but uh, I felt very accomplished at the ability that I developed. <clears throat> no pun intended, to be able to create a print literally from the shot to developing the film to then using my enlarger to uh, expose the paper to the uh, negative, to then processing it through the chemicals, uh, and then, of course, you know, doing the hanging and so forth. By the way, I also found a very uh, interesting method for making sure that the image, uh, the paper uh, the, the, on the side where the image is, came out smooth uh, that I read about, and that is you take a piece of glass or a mirror, either or, and you take your wet image and you squeegee it onto the mirror, and it will stay flat, and it will be shiny. It will be smooth. Uh, and it was one of those techniques that uh, that I picked up on. Uh, so I I have always had an affinity. And, of course, nowadays, you know, it's all digital. And there's, of course, I know there are other programs, but obviously the most popular one, of course, seems to be Photoshop, uh, which I... Uh, I, I still say that I have just scratched the surface, and I've been using it for years, uh, scratched the surface on all the things that it can do, <clears throat> but it does what I want it to do, and I can find what I need uh, to, to do this and that and the other thing, and it's just, uh, it's just a fun, fun thing to do to play with those images uh, digitally. Absolutely, and uh, I was fortunate enough that as I progressed through that career to apply in and I was accepted to uh, a workshop with Ensel Adams and Luke Bernhardt and all the great. And and as a side note to what you were just saying, um, Ensel Adams was all about the tools in your toolkit. He got a lot of criticism for the zone system and and making us uh, know the properties of the film we're using so that we could control it and but uh, sitting in his kitchen one day, he, he was so excited because Polaroid had brought him back. And it was just the beginning of uh, using pixels. And he was so excited to see the future. Everybody else was paranoid. They had all these years to learn this exact skill, how to print and go through the process you were talking about. And he was excited. No, you're going to have every tool you've ever dreamed of in your toolbox to be totally creative. You won't be limited by film speed and light and <laughs> and uh, so he was a pretty amazing guy but he's seen the future and uh, he loved it the ability you would have with uh, with uh, the tools available now on your on your iPhone yeah we are talking with Gary Smith he is the author of uh, the latest work which is uh, 
collection, a collection of short stories and poems, and we are very grateful for him giving us this time all the way from Italy as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure to have you here and also to talk about uh, these works and so forth. And uh, um, I... I wanted to add uh, to our little conversation there about uh, about photography <clears throat> when you talked about you know of course Ansel Adams obviously sort of the I don't want he's not the father of photography but he certainly is sort of the godfather if you will uh, the man you look up to the man that you you look to to uh, uh, to get inspiration uh, education as well as you as you have alluded to and one of the aspects of digital photography and pixels. <clears throat> makes me think of one painter in particular, one uh, artist, uh, and they made a they made a Broadway play out of him. And one of his works, uh, his name was George Serrat and uh, Sunday in the morning, Sunday in the park with George and how he would he didn't he didn't use strokes. He used dots, which are similar to pixels. And even when you are printing, and I took a, a printing class in high school, believe it or not, and I remember learning about how they, uh, early on, before they had the big metal sheets that you'd put on the, on the, uh, on the uh, rollers of a printer, uh, pictures were made from dots on the page. And they had to get them just right in position and so forth or, or however, however, whatever the process was. But they were they were black dots and gray dots and, you know, in terms of the intensity of the ink before they had those rollers. So there is a similarity across the board. Uh, oh, yeah. to There was a very famous painter during the Renaissance, uh, not the Renaissance, during the, uh, um, the period of Monet that painted with dots. And I forget his name. Very famous painter. Yeah. He's in the- by the way, if anyone wants to look up that play, uh, it's it starred uh, Mandy Potemkin and Bernadette Peters, and I remember watching that. I even have the album, and um, uh, I, just listening to him uh, sing those songs, as well as to uh, have the have the camera angles the way they set it up, because they obviously did this for the purposes of a uh, of a video. They'd have the camera on the back side of basically an opaque. Uh, a canvas, and you could see him uh, from his face side, you know, poking at the canvas, and the canvas would move a little bit, uh, making the dots. And I thought, that's extraordinary. And then, of course, when you step back, and you've probably seen some photographs, well, I don't know if you call them photographs, maybe more along the lines of mosaics, where if you are at a distance, you see this beautiful picture, maybe it's a scene, maybe it's a person's face, you know, that kind of thing. But if you zoom in, it's made up of a bunch of other pictures, a bunch yeah. of other pictures. It's to me that is extraordinary that someone would uh, would take the the time uh, to find just the right photograph that had the right shading from a distance to then create uh, this uh, this image that you would see from a distance, and uh, it's fascinating. I will also share with you that my brother in law. Uh, my sister, my eldest sister's uh, husband, from the day I met him over 40 years ago, he had a camera around his neck all the time. And um, 
when we held my sister's memorial back in April, um, he said, uh, as he was sharing with the the, uh, uh, the the congregation at the church we were at, he says, I went through thousands of pictures just to hone it down to 300. And 300 is still a lot of pictures. Uh, and some of them were just spectacular, some of the pictures that he took. And I don't know that he was necessarily an artist. He just liked to record experiences. And it's so much different for him, I believe, in the way he was doing it, than the way people do it today. I mean, people are taking pictures of everything, their food and 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 uh, this thing and that thing and the other thing. I look for sort of extraordinary and unusual things to take pictures of, like cloud formations. I have one that looks like a dirigible, uh, an airship. <laughs> it's a huge puffy cloud, looks like an airship. But anyway, so uh, what kinds – and you have a book that uh, that talks about this, if I am not mistaken, um, that people can find on your website as well. It's sort of a – what would you say, a picture book? Well, there's two. There's one which is a 25-year – uh, retrospective, uh, and which is uh, after 25 years, I went from using a four by five view camera, lugging that around, and um, to have control with with where you can change the lines of perspective and stuff. You get to a point at some point where the creative process, you you go out for photographs. You're looking for the things. Um, that you're going to photograph that you can manipulate as a painter would do. And so you can change the lines of perspective and, and you know, it might take, might take me in them days, three months from the time I went out and took one shot with the view camera in the desert to having uh, a, a print that uh, I would be able to sell. And then when you, if someone bought that print, they would get, uh, of course, one redone in the dark room and so it would be close right but it would be hand done so it wouldn't be exactly and then 25 years later they go out with a with with a cell phone and uh and create the same kind of imagery and and uh come back within an hour and uh have your printer printing it out uh, it was a unique perspective so the first part of the book is is the difference between then and now, and, and you can see the quality in the photographs and uh, are the same. It's just a whole lot easier now, and uh, and you're more you're more creative because you can do more. On my phone right now, I've probably got three thousand photographs. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> on my phone, on my phone, <laughs> and so it's uh, you know instead of a thirty-five millimeter now around my neck, which was intermediate then I. I go out and run, and I'll, I'll see a sunrise that I want, or or something. Uh, all all the photographs in my in my books, uh, my hardcover books, uh, are all my photographs. It's, it's unique as an author. I get to uh, insert my own photographs in the story, and um, and and uh, so the, the book covers are all my photographs and. Um, so it's uh, progressed. It's uh, they kind of inter they kind of intertwine, you know. Yeah. 
Well, I will tell you that the cover of your uh, book, uh, a collection of uh, short stories and poems, it's, it's a beautiful. I love the, of course, I'm a, I have an affinity for rain clouds. And, of course, here in yeah. California, we're, we're looking for rain, you know, yeah. all the time. Uh, they say it doesn't rain in Southern California. And uh, I think that becomes more, more and more true. But we, we do get our share. Uh, we're talking with uh, we're talking with the author of a collection of short stories and poems, Gary Smith. Gary Smith. Uh, Gary Smith. Author. Dot. <laughs> I don't know why author got caught in my in my throat there. GarySmithAuthor.com is the website. We hope that you'll go there as we can continue our conversation here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, uh, Gary uh, Gary Smith, who's the author of a collection of short stories and poems. I wanted to ask you a little bit uh, about uh, the book. And you start out with uh, I, what I love is uh, uh, this first story that starts your book called Country Love. And it makes me think of uh, makes me think of a, a, a song. Uh, Country Love is kisses in the kitchen. Country Love is honest and it's true. Tell us about this story. Well, actually, it's it's courtly love. I beg your pardon. OK, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> forget about what I just said. I, I had a little dyslexia there. Yeah, well, I'm very dyslexic, so no, no apology needed. But I uh, uh, that come out of um, a time when I was uh, researching the Renaissance, and courtly love was uh, was um, a thing that they a code that they lived by. I mean, they they married in them days. Uh, if you're if you're a peasant, you married because you needed help on to raise food for the family. If mm-hmm. you're a noble, you you married for political reasons. and But at the same time, they knew at some point in their life, they would run across their true love. So they had a whole code called courtly love. You could, you could, you could, the, the, you could fall in love with the queen and you could wear her colors in battle or in a jousting match, or you could take her on picnics, but then there were things you couldn't do, which was the fall of Sir Lancelot. <laughs> you know, wow. he breached that. And, um, so I thought it was um, interesting in our culture today. Uh, it's almost like a taboo uh, to have fallen in love with somebody that's not your spouse, even though you don't act on it, nothing happens, uh, which is kind of the theme of the first book of mine, The Willing. Um, nothing was going to happen between these two. And she, you know, she was married and he, he wasn't. And so in this book, that's, kind of that flavor that's what that was about is uh he falls in love instantly with this woman and she's married and he ends up going there for easter he ends up visiting with the family and uh they have this kind of a courtly love relationship where they both respect everybody and and then her husband dies and he supports her through that grief and and they at the end end up together but uh so that, that was the basis of that one. Yeah, you kind of hear these stories uh, in in modern times of people who <clears throat> they they uh, they have this uh, childhood sweetheart and so forth, and but they go their separate ways, but they still remember that person, and they go off and they marry and they have a family and all of this, and and then their uh, respective spouses. Uh, may pass or they separate and what have you. And somehow fate brings them together once again in their later years. And it's like almost as if they pick up right where they left off uh, before they departed those years, years and years and years ago uh, to have a great romance, you know, uh, that um, the embers 
are just there and they're glowing. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. A very, very cool. I also wanted to ask, uh, you talk about how you have your photographs in your books. And I love, I love the, the, uh, I'm guessing this is a lake, uh, with, with the title of this particular story, the photographer. And is that, is that story about you? Well, I think as a writer, I think, if, if you, you do, I've always said there's craft people and there's writers, and that's true for photography and for writing. And uh, so, if 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 you're if you're creative, you're going to have yourself in your work. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, I get asked all the time by people that say they can't, uh, they run the same paths I run, they don't see the same scenes I've seen, and so. Yeah, I don't photograph uh, a scenery. I photograph a feeling, and so that 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 particular story mm. is a kind of way of answering that question about you know how those photographs come about. You know, I think if you look process. long enough at the photographs, and I'm looking at some of them right now, in the back of the book, in the back of uh, his book, <clears throat> which is uh, uh, under the uh, which is of course a collection of short stories and poems, it's the section called poems. And he has a photograph on each page on both sides uh, as you flip through. And I, I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people in in the arts, OK, to to broaden it up a little bit. They want to maybe the, the term is evoke an emotion or at the very least they want to, to express a particular emotion that they are having through whatever medium, whether it's photography, whether it's music or painting or sculpting or, again, you know, whatever that medium might be. And um, uh, I, I know that I'm kind of going through that process right now with uh, uh, the uh, the completion of my book that, ho- that I'm looking forward to uh, having out on the 22nd of December of this year. 12 22 22 that's my that's my dream right now and i think that this time i think it's going i'm going to make it um when was your first book published and to that end how did you feel when you had it in your hands for the first wow. time there's no there's no greater feeling than when 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 the author's copy comes to the house and you pick it up and you hold it in your hand uh the work that goes you know in 6 7 8 months of uh writing every day, as you know, if you're writing a book, the amount of time that goes into writing a book and then the rewrites and then the, and then the habit and holding your hand. There's just, there's, there's no words to describe that feeling. And um, it's just, it's just, it's, you just, it makes the whole process worthwhile. Have you uh, lost that feeling at all as each successive book comes out or is it still, Still, uh, still a nice, uh, a nice feeling. You see, yeah, the edge comes off it somewhat, mm-hmm. but uh, which is why this book come about. Uh, after writing five books in a, as a series, which didn't start out to be a series, started out to be the willing, and then everybody wanted a sequel, and then the sequel led into a third book, and then pretty soon you're, you're writing a series. You get to a point to where. You're not feeling as challenged because the characters in the next book have already been defined for three books. And so you look for a little bit of a challenge. So 
that was this book and uh, which I didn't realize how big a challenge that was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I had that feeling at the end of this book to write 24 short stories. I mean, most collections of short stories come after a writer has been writing short stories for this magazine, that magazine over a period of many years, and they put them together as a collection, you know, kind of like a greatest hits album for a music group. Mm-hmm. But to sit down and just, and then a week later, change gears to all new characters, a whole new story. You know, one's a haunted house, one's a murder mystery, one's a deep love. Uh, it's, it, it was very, very challenging. And at, but it was good because it opened up my creativity and uh, made me work harder, uh, and get out of that rut of uh, just writing. And so it was it was very beneficial. Mm. Just finished a, a seventh book. I'm hoping that it'll be published in July. Uh, we're going through the rewrites and stuff now, and um, and so yeah, it's back. I'm excited about this yeah. book, uh, the new book. Wonderful, wonderful. And we encourage folks to go to your website, which, of course, is GarySmithAuthor.com. As I said before, we'll be linked to uh, that website so people can find out more about you and the work that you are doing and keep uh, keep abreast of uh, of the latest uh, the latest releases that you have as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with author and photographer uh, Gary Smith GarySmithAuthor.com is the website Gary I was uh, uh, I was intrigued by of course the incorporation of your photography uh, within the in the pages of your book not only in the in this collection a collection of short stories and poems but but also the fact that you know you've got the the, the images in there and it makes me think about the process that I was going through when I was taking that semester long uh, black and white course and um, uh, I um, what I would do is I would uh, I would take the take the pictures, process them, so forth, and then I would put them on a mat board, and um, and some of them I would then flip the mat board over with the photo- photograph face down. I would tape a piece of uh, eight and a half by eleven ruled paper, and based upon that photogra- photograph. I would write a story. Now, it's not going to be a long one because you only have one sheet of paper there, you know. But I would come up with – and I only did a few of these. I I didn't uh, spend a lot of time on that particular mode. But does does a photograph help – like with – let's say with this collection of short stories and poems, um, did you think of – the poem as you were, say, sifting through the different photographs that you had taken. And, yeah, okay, let's put this one in the book. And let's put that one in the book. Was there a poem and or a story? For example, the um, uh, uh, th- that first that first uh, uh, story that you have in here, the uh, um, uh, courtly love, uh, you, um, uh, you have a picture in there. Is that something that uh, that you've got going? Well, it, it it's twofold. With the poems, um, they come quickly because of the photograph. Uh, maybe I'm out on a, most of all the photographs uh, in the section of poems. I'm out on a long run, and it's just like in the photographer. Uh, what happens is uh, a feeling will come. I'll, I'll see a scene. I'll come upon a 
uh, a bond and and I'll get a, a a feeling and an emotion and I take the mo I'll take the photograph and when I get back to the car I quickly just write out a quick poem that's why they're so short mm. um, with the book I got three thousand like I said photographs on my phone and uh, so I just write the book but then in the rewrites as I'm as I'm going through um, rereading the stories. I'll, I'll I'll come I'll I'll come I'll remember a photograph I have in in my uh, library that uh, will help enhance that scene maybe like the courtly love with she's sketching Donatello right and I I remember you know I've been in that I've been in that exact museum I think two or three times and uh, and uh, so I go through my file until I found that picture of Donatello to put in there to help the reader get a sense of. Uh, Oh, that bit of history that's uh, in that story. And that's true for wherever I put a photograph, you know, it's, um, that's what it's, that's, that's how that comes mm. about. I'm Richard Dugan, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're talking with uh, Gary Smith about his book, A Collection of Short Stories and Poems. And uh, we are also talking about uh, uh, his photography work as well. And uh, we hope that you will stay right with us here on Tell Me Your Story. Gary Smith joining us here on the program. And uh, Gary, I want to thank you for joining us all the way from Italy. It's really uh, a pleasure to be talking with you, not just uh, from that distance, but but also from the standpoint of, uh, of being an author. Now, you've written a number of books already. You've also incorporated many of your photographs, which I have to tell you, some of the some, some very beautiful f- photographs. Uh, and uh, I would take it because you mentioned this earlier in the program uh, that um, obviously Ansel Adams was a huge contributor to the formation of you as a photographer, right? Correct. Yeah, very much so. Talk to us a little bit about not just not only your experiences with him and your you know I mean obviously he. Uh, again, uh, had a lot to say in influencing you, but also in terms of how you view photography in in the area of importance. Let's just say, uh, let's just say, in terms of uh, the 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 combination. You're a writer and you're a photographer, and you manage to be able to combine the two, which is really, I think, really very very cool. And the question is, how how do you how do you merge the two? I mean, does that come naturally for you? Yeah, I think I think they're both the same. I think uh, uh, a lot of artists have multidisciplines. I I know people that uh, that are poets that also write song lyrics uh, and maybe do some sculpture on the side. Uh, so I don't see them so much as separate disciplines especially the way I write. I write in first person. Uh, and when I take photographs, I'm, I'm photographing a feeling that I'm feeling that particular moment or that day. And I will, uh, as described in the one short story, I'll, I'll find elements to fit that mood and, and put them in there, uh, move them around. Sometimes when I get it back, I got to flip the negative over or the image now, the digital image over uh, change the lighting and whatnot to, until I create what that is. Well, writing's the same thing. You know, you've got something you want to say. It's a deep feeling. 
And so then you start imagining a scene or circumstance that will bring those feelings out. So mm-hmm. it's, I don't see them different, actually. It's uh, pretty much the process. Have you ever uh, uh, been been out photographing and suddenly you realize from that photograph that you might even be taking, maybe you don't even notice it until after you get into, <laughs> I want to say until you get into the dark room, but uh, we both know better than that nowadays. But is it, is it a, is it a, while you're taking the shot or maybe after that you realize, you know, there's a story here or this photograph, this picture, this image, this scene would really, this would be really cool um, in, a, in, a, in a particular uh, uh, book I'm writing uh, and so forth and so on. Is that, uh, is that come to you uh, often? Not so much that way. Uh, sometimes I'll say something and I'll say, well, this, this, is, this I can make a book cover out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but most of the time, um, I'll come across a scene or I'm out on a long run and I'll start – Something's been eating at me, you know, something mm-hmm. I've been a little depressed or whatever. But if the feeling will come first and then I'll look around and and uh, and, and uh, find the elements that I need to collect. So when I got back, when I get back, I can create a photograph and put it in the library. Well, like I mentioned it earlier, I got 3000 photographs just on my phone. <laughs> so pretty much if I'm writing a story uh, uh, and there's a scene, then a photograph that I will come to mind that will fit that scene. You mm-hmm. know? And, and, and generally, it's kind of the same feeling, you know? I mean, uh, had, I, I think of the photograph and it provokes the feeling that I was uh, just writing about in that scene. Now, you have several other books out, in, including a collection of short stories and poems. We'll talk more about that as well. But you also have, as you've mentioned earlier, The Willing, A Life uh, Separated Together which I kind of like that, uh, that some might say oxymoron. Um, undomesticated, my life, my choice, and uh, uh, vengeance can be deadly. Um, now, uh, some of these may be actually be novels, okay, fiction, but I like the title in particular, My Life, My Choice. Now, tell us a little bit about that. Is that, is that a novel there, or is that, are we talking more personal Kind no, of. It, no, no, they're all, it's a series and they're yeah. all novels. Okay. And each one builds kind of on the other, although uh, a lot of my readers read them separately. They'll, they'll, they'll read uh, My Life, My Choice. Yeah. Uh, they stand alone well is what you're saying. They stand alone well. And, and yet uh, I see somebody will love Vengeance Can Be Deadly. Then they'll go back and they'll start the series from the beginning. You know, I've, been, I've gotten emails that say, you know, I'm going back. I'm going to read all of them from the beginning. So, um, you know, life separate together. Each of them have kind of an uh, underlying message or theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a life separate together is... Uh, how do two people, two successful people, madly in love, they come come together, and then how do they manage that life? And this is all within a mystery story. They're being chased and trying to be murdered, and yet they're trying to maintain their separate lives, their creative separate lives. In that book, she's a she's a, a budding songwriter, an artist, and he's a writer. Mm-hmm. All of them, he's a writer. 
And so how, how do you maintain that balance and not have one personality take over the other? Um, life separate together is, uh, it, is a, it's, it's a, it starts off um, with them getting involved with the FBI and, and uh, a mafia family who's, whose son was kidnapped or nephew was kidnapped and, and asked for his help because of his ties to the FBI to help find him. And, uh, and so then that ends up leading into a terrorist plot to uh, blow up the Emmys and uh, gets resolved at the end of the novel. Hmm. Well, the titles are very intriguing, and I'm just curious as to um, – I know that there, there are a lot of instances – there are a lot of instances where um, uh, the publisher – usually might determine or marketing might determine the title. Were you able to choose your titles? Because, as I said, they they kind of ring really true for us here on this program, especially My Life, My Choice, which is part of what we talk about, giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. And I know that's a little different from the the, the story that you've written, but nonetheless, it it just rings really well in my ear in that regard. Yeah, well, in particular, that book, it doesn't, it's not too far-fetched from that because throughout the intrigue and the chasing and, and the dynamics of the plots, it ends up almost being two plots. He has to read, the underlying message is how we judge people sometimes before we know them, okay? He ends up, the, the, the terrorist that he thinks he's chasing ends up saving his life, and he has to sit back and kind of reflect on, uh, on, uh, his choices in life, how uh, how they were determined, maybe at youth, and uh, and uh, reflect how you would look and see see people mm. in the first quarter. And so, no, I chose all my titles and, well, and all my book covers, and uh, I'm adamant about that. And uh, I know there's been uh, with the first publisher, they thought I should all write in third person, and I won't do that neither. I did one book in third person, but. Uh, it seems like it distances yourself from the scenes. You know, it's it's. I can see maybe in, in a murder mystery why they wouldn't want first person because you're reading in a first person and it's like you going in to do the murder instead of the <laughs> instead, of, instead of somebody else, right? And Joe ain't going in to do the murder. I'm going in to do the murder, and uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, what, maybe, what, yeah. Maybe, it's like it's like. What does he know? I mean, how close to this story is he really? <laughs> well, people thought that undomesticated. Uh, that that's full of murders. It, it starts off. I've always had this idea. What happens if uh, uh, a serial killer uh, falls in love with a serial killer that comes in ta- comes to town, and they end up dating each other, and it, so it comes out of. That kind of a, that kind of a uh, thought process, and and a philosopher who uh, Don Luis, who who mentions in his philosophy book that none of us are ever happy until we undomesticate ourselves, because to be from the time we're born, we're being told how to be, how to perceive things, school, culture influences. And that at some point, you know, we, we don't know who we are. And in this particular story, this woman detective, who's their best detective, is the serial killer. 
and she considers herself undomesticated. And that the underlying pre premise is we, we all agree we kill to sustain life, food, clothing, it all comes from a plant dying or an animal dying. And, and, but in her small world, to be undomesticated, you have to feed the soul. And so you murder just when you're a little depressed, you go out and kill something to uh, a person <laughs> yeah. to become, uh, to, to keep, to feed your soul the same way you have to feed your body for life. That's a, a very so interesting. That come out of that premise. And so there's, mm. it gets a little twisted in there pretty much. But. Yeah. I was going to say, that's a very interesting uh, perspective and premise as well. Uh, it's interesting too, how we've talked on this program many times about uh, uh, choices and how, um, I bring this up on occasion, and then I, I add uh, one of my guests' uh, comments about how all the choices we've made have brought us to this point. I mean, it sounds kind of weird, uh, Gary, but all the choices that you've made and that I've made, even as kids, have brought us to this moment right here, right now, where you and I were having this conversation. My, uh, And then, of course, in terms of the future, it's the same thing. All the, all the choices that we make uh, today and tomorrow and the next day will place us where we'll be in five years, ten years, etc., to which my guest said, that's true. However, you will need to take a look at that last part and say, <clears throat> he says, um, that all of your choices from this point forward, even from the past to the present, are determined by your perspective of what you think the future, your future will be. And I had never really thought about it in that context before. Uh, and I know some would even classify, put that under the category of, well, you know, all your beliefs and your thoughts are going to determine, and your fears and all of that kind of stuff are going to determine, you know, uh, what your choices will be today and tomorrow and the next day. And uh, I hadn't really looked at it from that perspective. And then that, that kind of opens up the door, uh, Gary, to, <clears throat> to the aspect of, um, well, I really don't like my perspective of the future. I don't I, see I myself, I'm an optimist. I believe that, you know, there's still so much more that we as human beings can accomplish and that I can accomplish and that I want to do. And I want to do those things. And so my glass is half full. I'm not sure what it's full of, but it's half full anyway. Um, what are your what are your thoughts in that regard, especially in light of of these uh, I, these books, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I uh, throughout all those books, uh, the the series, Warren Stillgrave, the, the main character, uh, that's his perspective, and uh, he's and, and he's very much aware through each of those novels of the choices he's making and how they're going to affect the future of himself. And in the last one, Vengeance uh, can be deadly. He has to come to grips with himself towards the end of that novel. He, he suffers uh, a health problem that almost costs him his life. And as he's laying there recovering, he's, he's thinking that how he's always allowed uh, uh, certain things to, to make some of those decisions and, and how, what it's denied him in the past. And he mm. makes a determination that... Uh, no more. He's going to have these other consider. He's going to drop all considerations when he's making a making a decision and uh, and making more in the here and now. Mm. How uh, now? Granted, uh, as 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 a writer, 
um, your all is put into these books, but I'm curious as to how much of you, your life, your thoughts, feelings, beliefs, uh, attitudes, and so forth are incorporated. Do you see yourself in uh, the characters that you're writing about? I don't, but everybody, a lot of people around me do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, uh, Hemingway said it best. He said, to write it, you've had to experience it. Mm. So so there's no doubt in my mind that if, as a writer, you're you're putting your experiences of certain situations, even when you build a character, it's, it's somebody in your past that you've known and you might take uh, part of this person's personality and another friend or some acquaintance's personality into that character. But uh, so, yeah, you're, you know, people and I from family members, it's been terrible. <laughs> I mean, I've had calls from family members say, I know this scene you wrote is about <laughs> Uncle Charlie. And it's not, <laughs> you know, and you can't tell. Them, no, no, it's, that's not Uncle Charlie, you know, mm. or, or um, and, and uh, I think I know who this character is, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know? and, uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of my life through there. I wouldn't say in particular they're written autobiography like they're nothing but they're, but yeah, you know. They're my experiences throughout my life, pretty much. We're talking with Gary Smith. We're talking with him about the work that he does, not only the writing, but the photography as well. And we are going to continue doing just that, ladies and gentlemen, right here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I am fascinated. Uh, Gary Smith, uh, author of a collection of short stories and poems by The Process of Writing. And I realize that this may... This may come across to some folks as a little pedestrian. Oh, this question is always asked. But I am a little curious about your process because I'm learning about mine as well as I'm trying to finish my book here in 2022 after 21 years. Um, and I know it doesn't take you that long. You probably, you pump out one, you say, uh, one every year or so, every year or two? About every year. Yeah. How much... How much research do you go into, or does the book just flow out of you and you put it on the page or the computer or what have you? I know some people are that way. Yeah, it pretty much flows for me. I, try, I've, I've, I have found it really pretty easy. In, in this last book, uh, Collection of Short Stories, uh, four or five of the stories are probably nonfiction. <laughs> they are. Annie and the Bat, for one, is, is a true story, and... Uh, Kevin is a, is is pretty close to home. Is a true story about the death of my son, mm. and so a lot of those a lot of those come from uh, from uh, actual events. Uh, the rest are pretty much uh, different scenes from my life that that put together. But it comes pretty quickly for me once I sit down. Uh, with the novels, once I get past probably chapter two, my characters seem to take over and and they start writing. I'm just really putting down what they're doing and how they're and what they're dictating, basically. Mm. And so it comes very quickly. It's kind of like with me in this program. The universe asks the questions. I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> Same process sometimes, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I remember in a program I was producing <clears throat> and we were talking about the the uh, source for an artist. 
and authors and photographers, they're artists. Okay, so um, this is the way it was described by the host of the program as it was shared with her by someone else. And so uh, it's kind of like second or third hand. But nonetheless, it's like you have at the top of the Empire State Building, you have this lightning rod. And the, the lightning will hit that rod and, of course, diffuse down into the ground. But that is where that's sort of the analogy, if you will, the visual analogy of where the artist gets their inspiration and gets their uh, the spark, if you will, no pun intended, uh, for, for creating what they create. I know that, that for me, I actually um, was searching for an old manuscript that I'd started back in 1994 on a computer, the very first computer that I worked on. And I finally found that document, that manuscript. And I'm incorporating bits and pieces of it into my present day, the book that I'm writing. Uh, have you – now, you, I would take it – you just kind of mentioned it to us already that, you know, you have gathered stuff from your past. Uh, have you – as you go through a day or a week and what have you and you come across old photographs maybe, those, those tend to spur you uh, with ideas – yeah, sometimes. Um, in particular, um, in the book, uh, My Life, My Choice, I wasn't going to do any more in the series. I, 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 I wanted to do something different. But I went out on a four-mile, five-mile run, and the first three chapters just kept coming in my head. And, and so there was something in there I had to deal with. And uh, so I... Uh, when I got back, I sat down and started writing that book. You know, it was funny. I wasn't in my ideas to do that, but somewhere in my soul, there was still some, <laughs> something, something that I had to, an inch I had to scratch, something that still wasn't resolved in that series of books. And um, yeah, yeah. interesting. I'm curious too um, if you've ever lost an idea. I was coming down the hill for to come to work one day. And this was shortly after my sister's passing, and and um, I started thinking of this song, and and I I sang these four lines of a verse, but I had no way of recording it in any way, shape, or form. Didn't even have my stone tablet and chisel because I was driving, and I'm going, oh my gosh, I, I, you know, and I I hope it will come back, or at least I hope somebody else gets these lines and will put them into into something. Uh, have you ever had that uh, frustration where you, you're running, let's say you're out for your jog yeah. or what have you, yeah. and the idea comes and you get back, and, where'd it go? Where i got to find yeah. it. It was so good. Yeah, I, think, I think we've all had that experience. <laughs> and uh, I've always justified it by saying, well, I guess maybe it wasn't that good an idea. <laughs> 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 like, you know, self-preservation, right? Yeah, I hear you. And, uh, and uh, I think that's true. You know, same with photographs. I, 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 yeah. There was time I would have given anything that had had my camera or my phone, or I get it out, and before I can snap, the lights changed or the scenes changed, and you think, God, you know, <laughs> I could have captured that. But, you know, there's a million more coming down the road. They're, they're like a bus, you know. Every 20 minutes, there's another one coming by. <laughs> That's <so>. true. <laughs> well, I will but, tell you that uh, my wife and I uh, visited Ireland twice. And on the first trip, 
I did have a digital camera with me, but I also had uh, a standard uh, film. These were those disposable cameras. And I told my wife, I said, look, we're going to make the promise that if we see something we want to take a picture of as we're driving along, we pull over and we take the picture. We're not going to think, oh, man, I wish we I wish we could go back and get that because by the time you get back there, it's not quite the same. And so we did that. So I have hundreds of pictures, of, which is great, you know, of Ireland. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that uh, you're doing the same thing. It's it's a little more difficult to have your phone, even your phone, let alone your camera, because it still takes a couple of three seconds to bring up the camera unless you always have it up and ready to go, uh, or let's say your digital camera is already char- it's fully charged all the time somehow, uh, because um, sometimes you just miss them. But then I have another question for you in that regard. Do you ever feel as though, because this has been described, that you are actually missing the moment by taking a picture? In other words, you're looking through the viewfinder instead of looking at it with the naked eye and really seeing it in that full human eye spec, the naked eye spec uh, 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 sphere, if you will. Yeah, for me, see, I'm enjoying the scenery. I'm enjoying the scenery. Mm -hmm. It's to take the photograph. I'm not trying to capture that scenery. Uh, What I'm trying to do is I've got some feeling, maybe the scenery has provoked in me uh, the elements of, of tranquility or love or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll start looking around for the, like a painter would go to the store to buy the paint. I get, I'm going to have a few moments here to put the capture in this image, what I'm going to need when I get home to build that photograph. So, so I see them separately. I, I'm not trying to capture that moment. Kind of like in one of Ansel Adams' book, I'm paraphrasing here. He says, you go out and here's the world's most gorgeous sunset and you take it and you go home and there it is, just the way you remember it. He says, you only, record, you only recorded God's work. But if I take that photograph And I come home, and in black and white, I I change the colors. I move stuff around so that when you view it, you get you feel the warmth of the sun. And you, he says, that's my work. Mm. So, so you know, from that perspective, yeah, I I, uh, I'll enjoy that scene, and and um, not through the viewfinder. I'll Mm. I'll pull up a rock and sit down and enjoy it, or that deer in the meadow, or. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Are you yeah. a naturalist from the standpoint that you don't really want to have to touch up anything in a photograph or or change some of the hues, put a filter on this, that, and the other thing? Or... No, no, <laughs> no. It's uh, it's uh, I, I'm uh, like I mentioned earlier in the show. Ansel Adams could see pixels coming and felt that that gave you all the tools you needed to create the moment that you wanted. Okay. So no, I, I'll change the hues. Uh, like I say, sometimes I'll turn the, the negative all the way around. Uh, I've even gone as far as uh, taking a scene of a lagoon or something and change the colors drastically, make it vertical, make it abstract uh, and keep fooling with it until 
it provokes that feeling that I had when I when I first looked at it. Said, so, you know, there's everything here to make a great photograph. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's going to be yet, but I'll know when I when I create it. So, so you go from the photographer artist, if you will. Uh, to the pixel artist, uh, in a in just to, to kind of coin a phrase or, or create a term, mm-hmm. and and so your art isn't just taking the shot; it's then what putting it on the computer and going it's, from there. Yeah, yeah. All, all like all those in the book, right, and mm-hmm. the ones in the back. Those were all taken with an iPhone, and they're all edited on just my iPhone, not on the computer. Oh <laughs> wow! Just, yeah, they're just you know. Is that and, uh, does that astound you? I mean, you you obviously know the history of of photography and the process uh, that has been there uh, for uh, what is it a, a century or more with photography yeah. coming in? Um, because I I loved the hands on part, uh, not just taking the picture, but taking it all the way through to the finished print. I I absolutely loved that yeah. process. Yeah, I had uh, all my <clears throat> photographs when I was taking a lot of black and white photographs with a four by five camera view camera. And, you know, they were all 16 by 20 or so and uh, silver gelatin prints. And, you know, I might spend half a day just trudging around uh, Death Valley for one shot that I felt had the elements I needed to go back mm. uh, into the dark room and then, Sometimes hours and hours in the dark room uh, to get the photograph I wanted with copious mm-hmm. notes uh, with each time. Oh wow! And going through lots of paper, lots of different <laughs> oh, paper yeah. grades. It you know, gets ex- and dodging and uh, yeah. And, and one one photograph took me pretty much a year and a half before my craft level got to where I. Uh, I could get the photograph I wanted. And in order to do that, and I had worked so long with a view camera with swings and tilts, I thought, well, this enlarger is no different than that. And, uh, and the camera right. upside down, you work in the dark room, you know that. Yeah. So I take the easel and I start bending the easel, changing the lines of perspective. Oh, wow. On the paper <laughs> until I, until I, until I, I got the photograph that I wanted. Well, I even experimented in the dark room, not with photographs, but with this this plastic geometric puzzle. It was a clear plastic geometric puzzle, and I would uh, I would put it together in a certain way. Then I'd place it on the on the paper, and then I would, of course, ex- expose the paper and the light going through. And it w- now I was always doing black and white. I was strictly black and white, simply because I didn't want to go to the trouble of dealing with color at that time. Uh, and I got, I came up with some of the most remarkable images uh, on the page. And again, I still have all of these things. I even put some of them on Matboard. Have you, have you uh, played around? Maybe not so much with plastic puzzles, but maybe with uh, a, a multiple of negatives that you might expose to the same sheet of paper, of photographic paper. Or in this case, well, obviously we can do it today with uh, with like Photoshop and so forth, where you can um, uh, superimpose and so on and so forth. Do you do you do much of that? I didn't, but uh, I got to hang around with a gentleman Jerry Ulsman, who was a master at that. He'd have uh, boats sailing off a cube of of an ocean, 
or a, a made fist that turned into a woman's face, uh, wow. fingers that would, a uh, beautiful tree, and the fingers would end up being the, the roots of a person's hand. And uh, he, he did a lot of that with, uh, with multiple negatives in the day because we didn't have pixels and stuff. And for me, it was all black and white then because we had control. As you know, you had control in the dark room. You, you, it was things you could do to the negative. There. You had total control. Color, not so much. Yeah. You set it off and come back, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't really fool with it much in the dark room. Yeah. And, and but, you know, so we all shot in black and white and, uh, and so that we could have that control yeah. over the image. I will tell you that uh, this brings to mind, all of a sudden this flashed in my mind, those little shops, those little kiosks, we'd call them today, uh, sitting out in a parking lot where you would ri- drive up and you'd drop your film off and you'd come back the next day or a week or whatever. It was called Photomart. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it was just this little building with someone sitting in there. I remember taking my 126 film. Uh, to to those places and having them developed and so forth. And by the way, um, I have I don't, it could be thousands, but it's got I've got a box in the other room from where I'm right now. It's a fairly large wooden box that I built, and I store uh, hundreds of photographs that I took that are that are from the 126, but also many of the black and whites that I took uh, and and processed myself. One of these days, I do want to digitize them. Have you done that with your original, I will call it, analog <laughs> photographs? Yeah, no, I, I, yeah in, the, in the one book, A 25-Year Perspective, uh, I digitized uh, uh, my large analog, for use on a better word, uh, in the first half of the book and then compared it with the, the black and white photographs I shot with with my iPhone in the second half of the book, mm. and and to show what can be done now even with black and white photography. I still shoot a lot of black and white photography uh, with my iPhone. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, you know, Ansel was right. We have we have total control now, yeah. and uh, and so I'm. I don't go out shooting photographs no more. I go out for long runs, and they seem to find me. Yeah, I hear you. Now, so so what that's what you're telling me then is that the iPhone has the capabilities. Since I don't have an iPhone, and I don't really take a lot of pictures. Matter of fact, I have to get my my phone's camera fixed because for some reason it's not working. Be that as it may, uh, but iPhone must have a filter where when you are actually taking the shot, you're looking at it in black and white. Well, I'm looking at it in black and white. The camera's seeing it in color, but then, what? but then, but then, in their editing program, you can just switch it. Oh, I see. Okay, so you're not actually white. looking when yeah. you're looking at the screen to take the shot. It's in color. Well, yeah, I think you can change it maybe to black and white. I don't, and yeah. uh, because I'm even though I'm looking at the screen in color, I'm seeing it in black and white. I'm yeah. looking at, at the at the at the. Your shadow areas and the, and the shades of gray that might be in that photograph yeah. that I want that I want to deal with and and like I say just with the editing program on the phone uh, there's so much control over the shades of grays and changing the contrast and the lighting and that kind of stuff that uh, 
It, you know, I, and I print uh, 13 by 17 photos with that. Wow. So uh, before we wrap things up here, um, I want to ask you, um, what do you see uh, as the future of both photography or and uh, also of, of writing uh, because your books, for the most part, would make great audibles with the exception of the photographs. Um, so I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts on the future? So let's start with the photography aspect. Well, the photography, I think, is, you know, other than film, it's going to be streamed all the time now. I don't think in 10 years you're going to be able to, nobody's going to go to the cinema because of the cost of taking their family to the cinema that you can watch that movie on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, photography, I think, will, I don't know how much more it can progress than it is now. Like I say, I've written these award-winning shots off an iPhone. Uh, there are they're already digitized. They're easy to send around. Uh, so I think uh, I don't know where that's going to go. Mm. Writing concerns me. I mean, the cost of a hardcover book now is getting to be very, very expensive. And there seems to be a trend. Uh, all my books are both in uh, an ebook, Kindle and Barnes and Nobles, whatever their brand is, and Moby and all that. And they're in Audible. But it seems that uh, there's more and more push uh, to digitize the books. And I'm concerned that uh, some of these large corporations (laughs) that are buying up everything, pretty soon they're putting in the worldwide library uh, to where people can just download your Kindle book and thousands and thousands of times, and the uh, artist isn't going to get any payment for it. You yeah. Know, your work is just, you're working to fill their libraries. Yeah. You see it on Amazon already. They're giving you 30 days to send back a book, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And when I, when I check my books on Amazon, there seems to be pressure to say, you know, you can buy this book for a lot cheaper if you buy it in Kindle. <laughs> mm. And well, now they're starting a Kindle streaming process, it yeah. seems to be, you know, and, but so I would use all the Kindle books. Yeah, but I would venture that none of this is going to deter you from continuing to write. Not because you have a contract, but because you have these stories in you that you want to get out. Yeah, that, uh, you, you want you want to be read. Yeah. Um, don't ever give up your day job if you're a writer. You're never <laughs> gonna, no, you're never going to make you're never going to make a living off it. All writers have end up. Uh, working for a magazine or or for an online newspaper or an advertising agency um, and so you know you, there, you don't do it for the money you do it because you've got something you want to say for me uh, the emails I get from people that say what I've written has touched them in a, in a place that uh, has uh changed their life, especially this last book. I, I didn't realize the short stories would touch so many people, mm. but I've, I, I get uh, emails from people that say, you know, this story I've read twice, and uh, it made me sit back and pour another glass of wine and think about and analyze my life, wow. see where it's going, and the choices I've made and the choices I'm going to make in the future. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's, that's more important than 10,000 books, you know, because... Yeah. 
Well, I'll tell you, I'm kind of there myself, not only in terms of what I'm writing, but also this program and the guests that you, like yourself who are on this program talking about the work that they are doing and their uh, stories uh, of um, life and living and, and all of that, all that is contained therein. And I want to thank uh, Gary Smith, author of a collection of short stories and poems, for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, Gary, uh, before we wrap things up here, first of all, thank you so much uh, for uh, making so much time for for us. I will just, uh, a side note to our listeners, um, this was a an interview uh, in the making over the course of a few, about a week uh, or so, that we finally were able to bring it all together. Uh, and I really appreciate your flexibility in that regard and really appreciate the work that you've done and and the images that you've uh, put forth. Uh, you've, you have been given a great eye. The universe is guiding you. And I love just looking at some of these scenes. They're really cool. Uh, thank you very much for having me. And uh, I look forward to uh, any comments anybody makes on the webpage, uh, GarySmithAuthor.com. Uh, all the books are there. And uh, I look forward to hearing comments, good or bad. You know, Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I've I've gotten uh, I've gotten uh, critiques on this program, and I've taken them to heart, and really tried to think about that because the critique was quite accurate. You know, I I will own the fact that, yeah, I do tend to go on and on with my stories, <laughs> but 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 it's a conversation, and that's the way conversations go. So, well, yeah, as an artist, the worst thing that can happen in this particularly a writer, I think, for me anyway. So it's, oh, it's a good story. Uh, if, I, I'd rather them say they hated the story because of this, because I know I've yeah. touched them, yeah. you know, that I yeah. provoked an emotion than, than, than just a bland. Yeah. Well, I have three final questions for you that I ask all of my guests. Uh, you may have addressed them to some degree uh, during the interview, but uh, I like to ask them directly. And the first of those three questions is, who is Gary Smith? Wow. That's that's uh, that's that's a very hard question to ask. I'm sometimes still trying to figure that out for myself on this long journey. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, I'm loyal to 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 a fault. Uh, I'm honest to a fault, and uh, probably the most important thing for me is 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 love. I love seeing love between animals, love between human beings. Uh, that kind of interaction, I think, is just precious. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Well, like we discussed, I want to, yeah, I want to touch people's lives, and I love hearing that I've done that. Um, and uh, that's probably the most important part. Um, if I was going to have a grandiose idea, it would be a movie deal out of one of the books, you know. But probably sure. more important than that would be. Uh, those emails I get from people saying that uh, my unique perspective has given them a, a different slant on life, and uh, they thank me for it. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose? I've thought about this a lot over the years, and my life purpose is every day I want to wake up and help carry somebody's burden. I don't care if it's helping somebody uh, across the street or an older woman putting her groceries in a car. 
uh, I don't think there's enough of that around. And, uh, mm. and I look for those opportunities every day, and I feel that that's, you know, my purpose. Well, GarySmithAuthor.com is the website, which we will be linked to as well. We encourage you to get a copy of any one of his books, but especially the one we're talking about today, a collection of short stories and poems. Gary Smith, once again, thank you so much for giving us this time here on Tell Me Your Story. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. I've enjoyed it a lot, and uh, it's been a great conversation. And we'll do it again. We'll do it again. And we thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I'm listening.